Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk on a Monday, December 11th. Welcome to our Sportsnet 960 Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Vicks. Patrick, how was the weekend? It was uh, It was just fine. Was... I guess I saw you two days ago. Yeah. What am I even asking for? We were, there, uh, we were hanging out on Saturday as we the were. Flames wrapped up a six-game homestand. With a 4-2 loss to the New Jersey Devils. And now, here go the Flames kicking off another grueling, difficult stretch on the road. And, like, the just straight nuts and bolts of it. Three games in four nights with travel through Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. And we've talked a lot about how this stretch could go a long way in determining... The direction of the Flames, kind of the for the last few weeks, we've pinpointed this pre-Christmas stretch of 13 or 15 games, or however you wanted to look at it, as a really important barometer for the team. And now this might be, I don't know, four games and six nights on their last road trip was tough, but you go Colorado, travel to Vegas, play the Golden Knights the next day, and then you travel all the way two time zones over to play Minnesota, who's rolling under new head coach John Hines for Thursday. This might be the uh, most grueling of their grueling schedule here. This is going to be a, I don't know, potentially very telling next four days and next three games. Quintessential pivot point for the Calgary Flames, perhaps. And I wonder if the toughest part of this road trip isn't the potential of staying over in Vegas after the second of back-to-backs before going to Minnesota the next game. That'll tire a guy out on its own. But yeah, you're right, looking at the schedule. Not... uh... Not the easiest in terms of travel. I mean, it is confined to the Western Conference, but you're going Mountain, Pacific, Pacific Central. Central. Yep. Thank you for clearing that up for me. You can see the fear in my eyes as I went there. Hey, I'm like, ooh, do I have this right? And against the defending, Sta- or pardon me, against one of the defending Stanley Cup champions from a couple seasons ago, the defending Stanley Cup champion and a Minnesota Wild team that's been on fire since a coaching change. And of course, we just saw them last week at Scotiabank Saddledome. So. Sure did really is a stretch of three games and four nights that I don't want to be dramatic here, but could have significant implications on which direction the Calgary well, Flames are going to go. I mean, it's only three and four, three games, but you just went three and three on a homestand. You've got four more games after prior to Christmas. Decision time is coming soon for the Calgary Flames, especially if they're just going to play some 500 hockey. Like I, I don't, I don't believe that. Oh, this next three game stretch is going to determine. No, it is. It is one hundred percent. What what their moves are and and if they trade or don't trade players, it's more. I think it's going to determine what the season is and and determine, I I or or partially determine what they are because if they go in, so they wrap up with the four games after this trip, two against the Florida teams at the Dome and then into Anaheim and Los Angeles to wrap it up before a very, very short Christmas break. It's, it's almost silly to use it as a demarcation point because it's next to no break, but I digress. That would be the end of that stretch that we've been talking about. 
and you just mentioned it. They just finished a three and three homestand, and they end the homestand exactly the way they started the homestand. Two games below five hundred. They did not gain or lose any ground on their quest to get above the five hundred mark. And while they're still very much in the playoff mix, they've got an Oilers team that has won seven in a row. Nashville is playing well. St. Louis doesn't look like they're going away. It's just they're going to have to get themselves above 500, and they're going to have to get themselves on a meaningful run here because what they did in November just erased October and got them back to close to square one. Didn't even get them above the 500 mark the way they played in November. And now they have been kind of hit and miss so far through December. Like they need another run if they're going to make it difficult on Craig Conroy. Cause I would imagine right now, if the decision needed to be made today, it would be pretty easy in terms of what Conroy's doing. He'd be trading away the UFAs. Well, and even looking back a little further beyond the homestand where they went three and three, as you mentioned, they're five and five in their last 10. So Edmonton has gained ground on them. I shouldn't say grain gain ground because they passed them, but Edmonton's, bumped up Arizona they've been even with Arizona holds the second wild card Nashville holds the first wild card or seven and three so they've actually lost four points there the Minnesota Wild as mentioned one point back of the Flames with a game at hand so that game is as, as much as you're not talking about pivotal games in the playoff picture in December we still kind of are because the Calgary Flames by just being I don't want to say mid because that's a well. They kind of are mid, but that's exactly what they. I feel like Doctor Evil and doing the Macarena saying mid. I, these kids with their new words these days, but they have just been mediocre at best, and mediocre isn't going to get you back into the wild card picture. It's not going to make Craig Conroy have tough decisions come March, because if you're just going to play win one lose one the rest of the way, you're not getting anywhere in the playoff picture. Yeah, and. That's why, you know, you you get off to a good start against Colorado on this trip Monday. Maybe you can make this a, a fun trip. Maybe you can come back and people are saying, hey, Flames played really well in this three-game stretch, and now let's see what they do on a, on a quick little two-game homestand. I just, I do, and I do think this is going to be challenging. They've got three games and four against some of the top teams in the Western Conference, and... It's not an excuse if they don't end up playing really well on it, but it's not nothing either. Like they, they've had a pretty grueling schedule from November into December, and and so have other teams. Basically, if you're a Western Conference team, your schedule can be pretty grueling. So the Flames have run a gauntlet for a good chunk of November now into December, but they didn't gain a whole lot of ground. In fact, they didn't make up any ground on their record on a six-game homestand, which you were hoping they'd be able to. You're kind of hoping, okay, if you can take four of six against some good teams on this homestand. That's a massive difference in three and three. Well, now now all of a sudden you're flirting with right there at 500, and instead you're two games below, and they have yet to still yet to string three wins in a row together this season. So it just, at some point, you kind of... If you're if you're the Flames, especially if you're looking at it from a 200 foot view as as management, at some point I think it does become clear that it's like okay, yeah, we wanted to wait and see, we wanted to see if this group could meaningfully turn around the season and put themselves in like a, an actual spot that they believe they should be in, not battling for a wild card spot, not being on the fringes and not being on the outside looking in, like fighting for a number three spot in the Pacific Division. Well, what are they? Eleven back of number three in the Pacific right now. 
I've got the wild card up. I don't have the other one, but they are massively far back. So in the Western Conference, they're sitting fifth behind the Oilers, Kings, Canucks, and Golden Knights. Kings are at 36 points in 25 games, so two games at hand on the Flames and an 11-point cushion. Yeah. So they cash in those two points, that's 15-point difference. Yeah. Not ideal. Yeah, they are way back of Vancouver, way back of Los Angeles, and, and looks like they're not going to be catching Vegas. So the whole idea of being one of the wild card teams when you're also fighting with the Oilers and the Coyotes and the Predators and the Blues. It's like, and it sounds weird fighting with the Coyotes. They're right there. But they're there. Yep. They're, uh, well, they're ahead of the Flames. They can throw stones. In every metric that you can point to, they're a better group than the Flames are this year. So at some point, you know, they're now 27 games into the season. They're closing in on, they're 15 games away from halfway through. At some point, you just wonder if, the shift changes permanently from a philosophy standpoint. And that's why I say a good little three-game road trip might be able to delay that or change it a little bit if you're the Flames. What's success for you on this three-game road trip, given the quality of competition, given the three and four? Because you're going to play the Colorado Avalanche, who admittedly aren't atop their division. They're tied for the top, and the Winnipeg Jets have a game at hand. But they've still compiled a 69 and two record. Then you go into Vegas and they're number one in the number West. one in the West. Now, granted the Kings have a four games in hand and they're would have to cash o- them all number in. One they're overall. One number one overall. And then you go into Minnesota after what I'm going to presume is a day off to play a team that I think has won five of the past six. Yeah. They're five. Oh, they're five, one and oh, since, since John the, Hines took over. So, I mean, there's like, is one, one and one a win is one, oh, one, two and oh, a win. Like what, what are you classifying is coming away with, who we dodged a bullet there. I mean, at this point, they need like three and zero is the win. Uh, like they got to get themselves above five hundred. Until they're above five hundred, any t- at least for me, any talk about the playoffs is silly. Any talk about loading up or any talk about re-signing your unrestricted free oh. agents when you're a below five hundred team makes no sense to me. So, is one one and one a win? No, I don't care who the opposition is. That keeps you in the exact same spot. And the more that you stay. Tread water. In, uh, the more that you tread water, the more that the teams that are actually swimming are going to gain ground on you or, or create separation on you. So, no, until they get themselves above 500, I think any talk about re-signing guys and any talk There's about... no talk about loading up. And 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 definitely any talk... Well, but I, I just think about it. Like, people are talking, well, do you go get Anthony Duclair? Or do you go oh, look that- at Tyson Berry or something like that? There's been lots of those questions on post-game. And I'm like... I'll do respect to those two individuals, but I don't know if that's loading up as much as tinkering. Yeah. I guess technically if you do it at the trade deadline and you don't move anybody out, I guess that's you're a buyer in that situation. But I don't think there's talk about burning consecutive first-round picks to bring in players you're uh, hoping can put you over the top. But 3-0, and hey? Like, that's... I don't see it. Well, neither I do I. I don't see it. But I guess you're right in the sense that I guess you got to start somewhere. In any stretch of time, so in any stretch that we pinpoint, so... What is there? Seven games until Christmas. They got to win more than they lose for it to be a win. And this stretch of three on the road, they got so I guess two and one or two zero oh and one would be a win for me because any any stretch of time when we're talking about a five hundred record that just hurts them even more. And as this text says, um, Pat, I love listening to the show so much that I bypass the other shows to listen to you guys. But seriously, I think the worst thing for the Flames is to just hang around. My opinion, tear it down and rebuild. Every year it's the same thing. Flames fans will understand. They'll welcome it. That comes from Gord. And I do, I, I think the, that first part is accurate. 
the more they just kind of hang around without actually meaningfully moving up the standings, the uh, the more it probably the more it probably hurts them if they're not going to hit the pivot button. If there's that if 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 Craig Conroy's got the codes to the pivot suitcase chained to his wrist right now and he has them ready to go and all he has to do is hit that red pivot button the more that they hang around and the more that they are just kind of mid and middling and hovering a little bit above or a little bit below 500 in any given stretch of time the more that it hurts them until they hit that pivot button so what do we think gets you into the playoffs this year this is going to be a bit of a divergent kind of conversation but the West hasn't lit it up this year, and 90 points looks like it could be a realistic target, whereas you needed 94, 95, 96 in years past. So if that's the marker, the Calgary Flames need 65 points over the remaining 55 games. So what's that, like a 620-ish win they percentage? they got 10 games above 500. 500. Yeah. See, this is why I come to you for the math, because you are an absolute mathlete. Oh, yeah. I'm just doing it right now. Um, well, right I now, like how I pawned off my homework on you right there. I don't know if anybody caught that. Nashville, but. Nashville's on pace for 88 points. And, and that's the Nashville first wild card. is the lowest points percentage Correct. in a playoff spot right now. So they're on pace for 88 points, um, which would mean the Flames need 53 between, is that correct? Um, 63 between now and the end of the season. So that would mean 63 points in their final yep. 57 games. So. Not entirely six games above 500 undoable. is what they need to go to 90, uh, 88 points. Now, the thing is, I do think, like, I do think whether it's Edmonton or Nashville or St. Louis, maybe it's Minnesota, I do think one of those teams or a couple of those teams might push that projection like a little higher. Like the Edmonton higher. Oilers on a seven game win streak? Yeah. So maybe it is a, maybe we are talking about a 90 point pace when it's all said and done to be a playoff team. Uh, but right now, the cut line at the Masters is 88 points. And the Flames are currently playing at a 463 points percentage through 27 games. So they're going to have to up it significantly. And that's why I kind of point to this three-game road trip where, yeah, if you go 500, it's not helping you any. If you go 1-2-0, and oh, but like if you get swept on this three-game road trip, suddenly that's six less points available to you in a span of less than a week, a half a week. And... Minnesota will jump you. Who knows what's going to happen between the Nashville Predators, Arizona, Coyotes, St. Louis Blues ahead of you. You know the Edmonton Oilers are on a heater, so they're certainly enjoying things right now. It's just a case where they go 0 for 6 on the point front. That is, I don't, don't want to call it disastrous, but it's certainly not moving in the right direction for a, hey, we want to bring everybody back perspective. Yeah. Um, let's hit the uh, text line at 960-960. Um, this says, Pat, what's the deal with Kuzmenko in Vancouver? If he becomes available, should the Flames pursue him? That comes from Cody and Drumheller. And I think Andre Kuzmenko is a great player, but he turns 28 in February, and you're going to have to give up assets to get him. I, I That would be a hard no for me. Uh, I know that he's only got the four goals and 15 points this year, and I know that he had 39 last year, 39 goals. But, yeah, it's a hard no for me. Not because I don't like the player, but just because... I don't think it makes sense for the Flames to be going out and getting 28-year-old players and spending draft picks to bring them in, which is why I'm even opposed. This is what I said on the Duclair front. I think that there is plenty of wisdom to look at Anthony Duclair and say, hey, this is a guy that maybe even if we are going in a different direction can help Jonathan Huberdeau reach the or, or reach a higher level. Yeah. But do it in the offseason when he's a when he's a free agent. Overpay him in the offseason. Don't trade away an asset 
in the regular season. Don't trade away a pick to bring in Duclair. Don't trade away a player to bring in Duclair. Target him in the offseason. And you know what? If he's getting offered two years at $3 million, offer him three at three and a half. And that's, you know what? Overpay a little bit because if you're going to be pivoting and going in a different direction anyway, the cap for the next two or three years isn't going to be as much of a factor or a concern. So that's that's how I look at it. Don't be giving up assets right now for players that could help you. See, I'm almost of the exact opposite mind because if, and it depends on the acquisition cost. Let me preface this. And I'm just going to say, if it costs you a seven, and if you say Dustin Wolf was a seventh rounder, I'm going to be mad at you. But if it costs you a seventh and you're able to get 15 or 20 games of a sample size to see what's there, maybe you avoid paying $9 million. Yeah, but to you're not getting player. Duclair for a seventh. I mean, it, it depends on the acquisition cost. Like San Jose traded a fifth for him. He's having a pretty decent year for a team that does not score very much. And I think they'd probably be looking for a third. If it's a third, it's too much. But if you can get him for a late rounder, a fifth, a sixth, or a seventh, I might go that route and basically use the remaining games of the season as an audition for what he might be. Now, to go back to Kuzmenko, who's his agent, Pat? Is that Dan Milstein? It is. Yeah. So maybe not. Nikita Zadorov's agent. So I can't imagine if I, I'm not going to speak for Craig Conroy, if it's Aaron Vickers, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, I'm not too eager to bring a Milstein client back into my organization for the yeah. time being. Um, what else we got here at 960, 960? Um, this says Vickers, uh, King Henrik was a seventh. So there you go. Henrik Lundqvist. Ah, oh, I thought he was talking about Derek Henry. That's from, uh, that's from Wedley. Um, this says from Robert in Vancouver, uh, you guys and Eric Francis make it sound like the flames haven't made a decision on the direction they're going in. If Calgary goes on a heater between now and the deadline, is there a realistic scenario where they actually try to re-sign their pending UFAs? Would the organization be that short-sighted? I don't think they would try to re-sign all of them but I think it might change their philosophy on one of them, whether Would it's that a be Tanahan or a Hannah. Okay. And, and I just think right now, the way things are going and the way things have gone, it's just too much of a missed opportunity to not, at the very least, heavily put those guys on the market and see what type of return you could get, see what type of bidding wars that you could, uh, you could spin up. Because... As much as I don't think it would be a bad thing to, for all of the things that Francis and I talked about on Friday and you and I have talked about over the last week about why keeping Tanev would be really, really smart or you could see it happening, if he's not willing to sign a two-year deal or a three-year deal, then I think you have to see right. if, if you can get a four or five team bidding war going for him. And the same, same like if you're not, if you're, going in a different direction and Noah Hannafin says, yeah, I'll stay, but you got to pay me, you know, another year and another million for me to stay here compared to what I might be looking to take on the open market. I think you got to say no and get the huge return that you're going to get. I just, the flames in my eyes have never been in an opportunity like this in my time covering them. So in my 15 years or so covering this team full time, they've never had an opportunity quite like this. And so to Robert's question, I don't think that they have fully signed off on exactly what they're doing, but I think that they are leaning and, and going down a road. And I think that they are making sure that they've got ducks in a row so that they do end up doing what they want to do or, or that they are prepared to do uh, what they, what they might decide to do when it's all said and done. And I think, I think it gets, we're now 27 games into the season. I think it gets more and more clear what the proper 
road to go down is specifically with these UFAs. I can see an argument for keeping a guy like Noah Hannafin around much more than the others. And if you're a team that's just on the outside looking in, or maybe you're just tucked into a playoff position. And again, it would take a lot of work for the Calgary flames to get themselves into that position. But a 26 year old defenseman who will be 27 by the time that deal kicks in his birthday's in January, seven or eight year deal. You're still only looking at 34. Like what's I can, better I can, though? What's, what's better signing him? Or getting the huge haul that you'd get. Oh, I would, I would, I would, I would take the haul from the trade myself. But if they're not in a position to commit to a full teardown rebuild, he would be the one that I would focus on keeping. And I understand that, and I I think that's fair. I just, I just feel like there is an opportunity that a first-year general manager doesn't get very often to truly put his stamp on a on a direction and on a team and start his own vision immediately. And I just think that's a really important thing for Conroy to uh, to be thinking about. A few more texts before we quickly pivot. Pivot? That's pretty <laughs> widely. Uh, quickly before we pivot to another topic, just before we hit the roundtable. Uh, this says, they're going to bring in a player like Duclair for what? To help a $10 million, pl- $10 million player who can't be helped? Uh, this says, ownership's consistently treated rebuilds like a bad word. Flames will continue to be a mid-team until ownership realizes they need to start by drafting a franchise player and build around them. These puzzle piece teams never win. Um, and then this finally says, Pat, the rebuild's already on if you looked at their lineup Saturday. The young guys are already starting to come in. They're doing it quietly. We're going to hover around 500. They won't make the playoffs. We'll just miss, but they've got some good young players down the pipe, and they're going to probably have to trade Lindholm for sure. Hopefully, hold on to Hannafin, that guy they have to keep. There you go. Just a few texts at 960-960. With Vickers, I'm Steinberg. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk. I do want to quickly hit on this before we get to the roundtable with Wilsey this hour. Um, But New Jersey came in Saturday afternoon. Flames wrapped up their six-game homestand with a 4-2 loss to New Jersey. Kind of the opposite script. They had a great start. Finally scored the first goal. Could have been up by more after 20. Weren't. And then I, I think that we... Did they fade? Absolutely, they faded. And I just think we need to remember that that team was playing like almost half of the team was playing well under 100%. They have a flu bug that has pounded them the last little bit. So um, I want to say there were eight, nine, ten guys who were playing well under the weather on Saturday afternoon. That's not an excuse. It's the NHL, blah, 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 blah. And they won't use it as an excuse, but that could very easily be an explanation as to why they faded as the game went along. And also that's a good New Jersey team that's starting to find their way. They're just a completely different squad with Nico Heischer in the lineup. And he was great on, on Saturday. Anyway, I digress because we did finally get a chance to talk to Tyler Toffoli. who didn't record a point in the, uh, in the win had two shots. He did have two shots and there was a one that was blocked fearlessly by, I think, Rasmus Anderson on their second power play in the second period after the, um, after the challenge. Um, after the game, Tyler Toffoli did speak to reporters. His first time talking in Calgary since June's trade. He did a uh, conference call and answered some questions back in June, but this is the first time he's been in Calgary since the trade, and he was asked why this thing didn't end up getting done in Calgary and why he ended up getting traded to New Jersey. I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of speculation out there that I wanted a eight-year deal and all this stuff that's definitely not true and um you know it is what it is it's it uh, ends up being a business decision and uh they didn't feel that i would be kind of part of the future or whatever they uh they kind of wanted to do and um it is what it is and i've moved on and uh things have been uh, going well I'm, I'm i'm really happy to be a part of this team and 
Um, the guys are great. The organization are great to me too. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. So fun. Um, that's Tyler Toffoli post game uh, following the Devils win on Saturday. I'm not trying to throw shade. I don't know if anybody's ever used an eight year term. Uh, we have said, um, we have suggested that six or seven was kind of where the Tyler Toffoli camp was. Um, and I don't think the Toffoli camp would ever come out and, and admit it publicly. It just, uh, even uh, you were, you were in yeah. the scrum. Um, whenever he's talked about it, it's felt like, I don't want to say animosity, but it felt like maybe there was, he was like, well, they didn't want me. So I, I went and I don't know if that is a hundred percent true. They weren't willing to go long-term on a 30 plus year old player in the situation they were at right now. And they wanted to figure out what was happening with Hannafin and Lindholm and, and how that was going to go before they even talked about long-term contracts with other guys. Look, I don't think Tyler Toffoli is in the wrong in any way, shape, or form for coming off a career year and wanting to hit a home run contract and, and going longer than the three- and four-year terms that he's typically been used to throughout his NHL career. And I don't blame him at all for looking for a six- or seven-year deal. It sounds like he's looking long-term still in New Jersey as he remains an unsigned, unrestricted free agent there as well. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with the Flames saying, yeah, well, the situation that we're in right now, we don't feel comfortable giving a 30-plus-year-old guy that type of term. We'd love to keep you. And the the shorter term is what we're comfortable with right now. Like I think both sides were well within their rights, and I think Tyler's side was well within their rights to say, well, that's not going to happen here. Maybe a, a change of scenery or a different locale is the way to go. Flames were able to um, uh, Flames were able to grant that request in fairly short order, and now he's having a lot of success in New Jersey and and good on him. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with how Toffoli went about his business or how the Flames went about their businesses, as Tyler said right there. In the end, it, it was a business decision. Yeah, and from talking to him, getting the opportunity to see him again, my first time since uh, since the World Championship, which would have predated the trade. He didn't seem irritated, and he knew the questions were coming. And he was quickly dismissive, but in a very civil way. Like, it wasn't as... Didn't seem like there was as much animosity as the uh, Zoom interview that he did when the trade was announced. But I think the trades worked out for both sides to a degree. And I'm, I'm not going to argue that the Flames are, are winning the trade, but Toffoli's flourishing with the Devils. Flames got younger, more cap flexibility, and avoided what clearly was going to be a distraction. and. Not to rile up the text line, I do wonder if there would have been a way for Tyler Toffoli to come back and then flipped at the deadline to a contender because I wonder what he would get this time around being on pace for another 30 But once season. a trade request was there, you kind yeah, of have no, to there's no, it, there's right? no, There's no mending that fence to a certain degree. I mean, we did see it um, with Michael Backlund where he rescinded it, but I don't think there was a situation where Tyler Toffoli was going to be willing to rescind Well, and what has Conroy said? He wants people that want to be yes. here. And the other, there have been... That's why there's no Toffoli. That's why there's no Zadorov. Exactly. And that's fine. Like, again, even as frustrated as we all were with Dan Milstein's tactic when Zadorov asked for the trade request, I still don't think Zadorov did anything wrong. It's part of the business. And if you're Tyler Toffoli... You are one thousand percent entitled to look out for number one because the You're team's not going to do it. You, the team teams will treat players like commodities and will grind them into the ground and pay them as little as possible, especially when they have all the leverage because they've got a salary cap to work with. So when you're a player and you've got a little bit more leverage, you're well within your rights to try to use that leverage and and look out for yourself. That doesn't make a player selfish. That doesn't make a player not a team first guy. 
it's part of the business, and I, I do think that Tyler framed that pretty well. It's a business decision. We move on, and and I do still think have so friends far, on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. And I do think so far the trade has worked out pretty decently on both sides. It's working really well in New Jersey, and I think it's starting to find its uh, find its groove with Sharon Govich in the Flames. Yeah. Just a footnote on that: Sharon Govich has really found his game for 100%. me over the course of the last half dozen games or so. Uh, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg, with you on this hour of Flames Talk. And whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals, our friends at 403 Local, they're the place to be. Every time the local hockey heroes hit the ice, you can get two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks. That's a uh, pretty solid game day deal. Two beers and a pizza for 20 bucks On Sundays, all the football action on their wall-to-wall big screen TVs, and they do 50-cent wings on Sundays for football. You don't find that very many places, and happy hour all day. They also do wings on Wednesday. Monday's dry ribs night, $5 per pound. Also, daily happy hour from 3 till 6 p.m. Lunch specials on weekdays from 11.30 till 2.30 and 403 local available for your private functions as well. Visit 403 local in Lake Bonavista and at 403local.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Monday. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and other voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Monday Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, I want to start this off by talking about Dustin Wolf, who started uh, consecutive games in the NHL for the first time on Thursday and Saturday and appeared in three consecutive games for the first time in his NHL career as well. Uh, Dustin now has four NHL appearances this season, including three starts. Now, he's not going to start Monday in Colorado to kick off this road trip. Dan Vladar, who was scheduled to start Saturday but was too sick to go, is going to get the net Monday in Colorado, which would lead you to believe that Wolf will get the start against Vegas on Tuesday if if those are the two goalies. Jacob Markstrom is eligible eligible to return at any point, so there's always that little caveat to add into this as well. But on the Dustin Wolf front, now that we've seen him play in four games this season and all of all of them being meaningful, do we feel any better? Do we feel any worse about him becoming a, an NHL goalie than maybe we did before these four games? Well, I felt pretty good before these four games, Pat, but I would say that I probably feel a little bit better after the four games because the one thing I was worried about with Dustin Wolf was his size. He's not super small, but... At six feet tall and 166 pounds, he's probably a little bit heavier than that now. Uh, The weights tend to be off, and some guys lose weight during the course of the season, and some guys gain weight. But I did a one-on-one with Dustin last week, and he didn't look like he was 166 pounds, so probably a little bit heavier than that. But he, he hasn't looked small, and that, for me, was the biggest question mark. And I think about the four starts he's had in his NHL career. He's two and two. So obviously he gave the Flames a chance to win the two games that they won with him and net. And in the other two games, I think he gave them a chance to win those games as well. So there was the second half of a back-to-back, Toronto to Ottawa. Flames lose 5-4 in a shootout to the Maple Leafs. So tough turnaround and a game against the Senators the next day. And he kept them in that game through two periods, in my opinion. And Flames kind of fell apart in the third, maybe Fatigue got the best of them in a 4-1 loss, but Dustin Wolf gave them a chance to win that hockey game. 
And then I think about uh, his last start. And again, I know he gives up three, but for me, it was more about missed opportunities for the Flames than anything else in their 4-2 loss to the Devils on Saturday. They had plenty of chances to add to their one to nothing lead. They probably should have had a larger lead than one nothing through 20 minutes in that hockey game. And you know, Jonathan Huberdeau misses a wide-open net, and then Dennis Gilbert puts one off the crossbar. Matt Coronado hits the goal post, so the Flames could have scored more goals in that game. Uh, so for me, it, it wasn't about the number of goals they gave up. It was about the number of goals that uh, they failed to score when they had opportunities to. So uh, I feel better about Dustin Wolf, uh, four starts in five games into his NHL career. And, and that says something because I felt pretty good uh, before he started in this league with what he's done at uh, the WHL and World Junior and uh, AHL levels. For me, I'm unchanged on my perception of Wolf. But having said that, I've regarded him as a top five goalie prospect the past two or three years. So nothing's moved the needle significantly in one way or the other for me. The one thing that you've been able to identify by him getting more NHL reps is he certainly got the NHL tools, no doubt. And many of those are elite amongst his peers. He remains elite for me in, in a tracking and his movement and anticipation. And even on the mental side of things, the ability to shrug off goals. He's given up a goal or two and it, Every time he lets in a goal, it doesn't look like a goal has been let in. We've heard Brent Cron say it over and over again, where that is one of the most key elements of goaltending. Mika Kiprasov, I'm not comparing Dustin Wolf to Mika Kiprasov. I'm just going to compare what uh, Croner said about Kiprasov. You didn't know Kiprasov was happy, sad, upset, anything after a save, a goal, what have you. And Dustin Wolf, to me, has a lot of that stuff. Um, one area where I think I will disagree, and to me, he, just, he still does look small. And having said that, it hasn't hindered him near as much as I was curious to see in a sample size this large. I think there's only been one. And if I'm nitpicking, maybe two goals where I'm like, Ooh, maybe a bigger goal. He might've had that. The one I'm thinking of is the first goal against Carolina, the Nason tip where again, a tip is hard for any goalie, but he does get a piece of that. And I wonder if a bigger goalie gets more of a piece. And then the second one is the Holtz redirect off. I think it was Dylan Dubé, where again, that is a deflection, not necessarily an indictment on his reading the play, but he just misses that puck by probably four or five inches with his right pad, his right toe. But again, everything we've seen from Wolf, from his tracking, his movement, his anticipation, nothing to me tosses up a red flag whatsoever that this guy doesn't have a, an NHL career ahead of him. You know, Wilsey, I, I, uh, I agree with you in that. First of all, to answer my own question, I actually feel much better. Uh, and that's not to say that I felt poorly, but he plays the one game last year and now has appeared in four games this year. And so that's what, uh, tw- nine, let's put 11 periods he's played now in the NHL. And in every single one of them, he's looked like he's belonged. And that's not an easy thing for a 22-year-old goalie to be able to do. And I, I, Vicks, I disagree. I, I, I don't think he's looked small in the slightest because he, to me, has his far more often than not, his reads and his anticipation and his athleticism have negated that. And so I look at him now and I say, when, when I see a guy coming in, I'm like, you know what? I, yes. Does he give up more net than Jacob Markstrom or other goalies who are more of the average NHL size? Of course he does. But it really, like, he has not looked small to me. And I even think about, I'm going to go back to a text that Will in BC, who uh, he and I have gotten into lots of goalie arguments on the text line over the last couple of years. And he texts in regularly on Flamestock postgame. And I thought Will in BC framed it perfectly. He said, Dustin's just a good goaltender. 
You have to beat him to score. And so his size compared to other NHL goalies and thus the amount of net that he gives up in some circumstances against NHL shooters, sometimes he is going to get beat. That is just what happens when you're a quote-unquote undersized goalie. Much like we see UC Saros getting beat sometimes just because he's a smaller guy. And Jonathan Quick and Tim Thomas had the same things. Sometimes you can beat those guys clean because they just they they don't have the same overall girth that some of the other big goalies in this league do. But what he doesn't do, he doesn't give you soft ones. He doesn't give you any. He doesn't gift you any. And you have got to pick your spot against Wolf. And so I I have felt even more encouraged about his play since he got into games this year because in all of those meaningful games, he's looked like he's belonged and the size thing has not been a big issue and he's made far more stops to me that you're like, yes, that's a that's a high-level stop that he's quote-unquote not supposed to stop than the goals that have gone in that you're like, uh, I wonder if a bigger goalie would have stopped that. Vix, I know you uh, yes. want to rebut so quickly to you before, Wills, you jump in again. Thank you, because I think you reinforced my point a little bit. There's a difference between looking small and playing small. I'm not saying he plays small. Fair. I'm saying he looks small, but all the things you mentioned with Saros and Quick and his ability to anticipate and his quickness, just sheer reflexes, that allows him to not play small. So I'm not saying he does. I'm not saying he plays small. I'm saying he looks small. But his elite attributes, those things right. that make him a top five goalie prospect, a top three goalie prospect, has covered it for the most part. I, I just singled out two goals. He's allowed 11, and those other nine, even maybe the 10 with the tip, he's forced the opposition to beat him. He hasn't surrendered anything freely. He hasn't gifted the opposition any mm-hmm. goals. So I think to a degree there, you reinforced my point for me. Willsey, over to you. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I think maybe we're just looking at it differently. Maybe, when I yep. say that he doesn't look small to me, I think what I'm, I'm trying to say is that when he's got a clean look at the shooter, he doesn't look small in the net. The, the goals you described were kind of dirty in the sense that there was a mess yep. in front of him. And I think it's fair to ask, well, if he was 6'6", like Jacob Markstrom, or 6'5", like Dan Vladar, would the extra length help him keep the puck out? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't, but I think it's a fair question to ask. But even even big goaltenders, physically big goaltenders can look small. I noticed it with Mike Smith when he was off. I noticed it at times last season with Jacob Markstrom yep, 100%. when he was struggling. It, it's, for me, making yourself look big. And uh, I think you guys nailed it with some of the, the attributes that Dustin Wolf uh, has and has had throughout his hockey career. He does a great job tracking pucks, even though he has to do it differently than Markstrom, who's 6'6", and Vladar, who's 6'5". At six feet tall, he can't necessarily look over players. He has to look around them, under them, through them, but he still manages to track the puck. His rebound control is really good, and he is a battler. I mean, I think about the last couple of games that he started, and at times there's been a bit of a mess in front of the Flames net, and that guy, he battles for his ice and the blue paint and to find pucks and and to smother them. So I've been really impressed with Dustin Wolf, and uh, uh, I try not to jump to conclusions too early with young players. And I think we saw it with uh, Martin Pospisil, who had, what, five points in his first six or seven games and hasn't had one in eight. Sometimes we think, oh, 
this is who these guys are right now and are, who are they're going to be forever. But you know, sometimes uh, there's a bit of a roller coaster ride with young players as they uh, get uh, used to life, everyday life as an NHLer. So I'm sure Justin will go through some of those stretches as well. But uh, four games into this season, pretty not impressed with the Flames goaltending prospect. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. And in terms of the goalies, we've seen both prospect and pro come through the Calgary Flames organization since I've covered the team. I've never met a, I never met a goalie. I've never seen a goalie on the Calgary Flames move as quickly laterally. And that's part of just the skill and that's part of the anticipation. But I've never seen move, someone move the way Dustin Wolf moves. I like the way you move. Uh, that is uh, topic one on our Daily Flames roundtable. Uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Monday. Um, we talked a little bit about this off the top of the hour, Willsie, but boy, these road trips do not get any easier for the Flames. They finish off a six-game homestand with three wins and three losses. Now they go three and four with travel against three good teams. Uh, they play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday in three different time zones. What do we think of the latest road trip challenge for the Flames? Yeah, some more schedule adversity. I would say their schedule this year uh, has been and when all is said and done, will be better than their schedule last year. They had a terrible schedule last year. Playing nine of their first 10 at home was uh, not how you want to start. Uh, and I do wonder, in, in hindsight, if that cost them in their final 72 games of the season when they were on, a ro- on the road a ton. This season, not as many back-to-backs and uh, a much better schedule as far as the home and away mix to start the season. But there are still some stretches that have been really tough. I think about the Flames last road trip when they played four games in six nights that was really tough as well but this one you could argue uh, is as tough maybe even tougher because of who you're playing you're playing the Stanley Cup champions from two years ago tonight and then the Stanley Cup champions from last year tomorrow night a tough back-to-back tough turnaround going from Denver to Las Vegas and then you got uh, what I'm sure will be uh a day off, uh, and then you play against a rejuvenated wild team in St. Paul on Thursday. So it's it's going to be a tough road trip for the Flames. And uh, unfortunately, they only went 500 during that season-long six-game homestand. And because of that, I feel like they have to come home with two out of three wins or four out of six points on this road trip to, to really be uh, in the conversation uh, to be in a better spot, maybe a playoff spot when they get to their Christmas break. But uh, that's what a seven, two, seven and one start will do to you. Yeah, this one's not going to be an easy one for the Calgary Flames. And you mentioned going three for three and three on home ice and needing to come away from this three game road trip with a better than 500 points percentage. And it's going to be tricky. As you mentioned, two years ago, the Stanley Cup champions last year, the Stanley Cup champions and a team that's really turned it around and dusted the Flames 5-2 last week. So it's not going to be an easy task whatsoever, particularly because each team is trending pretty well with the Avalanche tied for first in the Central. What did you say, Patty? Vegas is leading the NHL or number one one in the NHL? Number one! And then, again, a team that just beat you last week on home ice. So it's not going to be an easy schedule. It's I kind of went ahead and tried to look at the Flames' remaining road schedule and there's some that you could probably compare this one to, not necessarily the three and four, but the the quality of competition. You know, there's going to be four and seven and things of that sort. But right now, this has got to be a massive test for the Calgary Flames that are looking to find any sort of momentum, any sort of traction, as opposed to this kind of win one, lose one scenario that they've been facing themselves with. Not the easiest of opponents, and and we'll see what happens. Like, how do you gauge success here? Is it coming away with two of three, I'd be content with playing 500 point percentage hockey over these three, 
but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's just not the easiest time to come up with these three games in four nights. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm with where Derek is too. Like, I just think you, at this point, in any stretch that we pinpoint, so whether it's a three-game road trip or now the, the seven games between now and the Christmas break, which again, I think it's not even a break, but the, the before Christmas, um, like the, they've got to start playing above 500 on a regular basis. And so they've got, however, 57, 52 games left, whatever it is. Um, they've got 52, yeah. 52. Um, so they got 52. That's not correct, but no, uh, it's, they have 50 something games remaining on the season, 55 games to go. That makes um, sense. so they got 55 games to go. Well, they probably need to be seven to 10 games above 500 in that 55 game stretch to make the playoffs. And, uh, they, they probably are going to need to put together a month of December in January where they are well above 500 for them to change the the trajectory that it's pointed at right now. Cause I think the flames are pretty, I think they're pretty resigned to the fact that trading at least two, if not all three of these unrestricted free agents is the way it's going to go. And so the, if you can maybe delay that decision or you can maybe make it more possible to re-sign one of these guys, if they are able to put together some really good hockey over the next month and a half here, but December has not started off in a, they're, they're kind of back to where they were. You know, as Wilsey, you just mentioned it. They started a six game homestand the same way they finished a six game homestand, two games below 500. And, and every stretch that we talk about where they start and finish about the same or only slightly better or maybe slightly worse than the way they started it, that just is, is going to set them that the more they tread water, the more other teams are going to create separation on them. And that's why we're, we're kind of in a pivotal point right now over the next month, two months of the season. And that's why people talk about uh, how important the start to the season is because the process has been a lot better, guys. But the results haven't been good enough. They've been pretty good, just not good enough after a 2-7-1 and one start to the season. Since then, the Flames have gone 9-6-2. and two. That's a 588 point percentage, which is pretty good but again not good enough after you had a 250 point percentage in your first 10 games of the season and you know when I think about the hockey they've played since their season-long six-game losing streak came to an end for me there have been two maybe three games where they've played poorly I didn't like that game against the Senators although they weren't bad in the first 40 minutes of it hated that game against the Predators and I didn't like that game against the Wild but outside of those three games it's been a good hockey team, but they're going to have to be better than just good uh, down the stretch. Or we're not quite uh, at that point yet, but in the final three quarters or so of the season uh, to put themselves in a conversation. And uh, again, shorter term, Pat, you talk about the games between now and Christmas. If you want to stretch it out a little further, the games between now and the trade deadline and somewhere in between those two points in time, uh, there will probably be a moment where the Flames have to make a decision as far as what direction they want to go short term medium term long term uh, you talked about those pending ufas what do you do with those guys so two out of three would be great on this trip i know it's a lot to ask when you're playing against the last two stanley cup champions and then wrapping the trip up with uh, three games and four nights against a wild team that uh, looks better with a new head coach but that's kind of where the flames are at right yep. now i guess the good news is you know the avalanche have been up and down like a yo-yo this season 6-0-0 in their first six, 
two five and zero oh in their next seven, seven one and zero oh in their next eight, one three and two in their last six, and they're pretty banged up right now. So Flames played a pretty good game against the Avalanche in Denver. It was their last road game, as a matter of fact, and they played some pretty good hockey against the Golden Knights the last couple of years. So. Who knows? Maybe they surprise us a couple of times on this trip. Thank you, Wilsey. We will uh, see you in a little bit. Okay, see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That starts to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk as uh, Aaron Vickers is on Twitter, at AA Vickers. Thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers this hour, and that'll do it on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.